Hey, Mark. Good to see you again. How are you? Hi, Shavri. Yes, I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Really happy to be here. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining. It was good to catch up with you recently at the Sales Innovation Expo, um, which I know was uh, was pretty soon after you uh, you guys published your um, SDR survey. So I was excited to catch up with you. Um, and I knew that when I saw you, I had to to take my chance and ask you to join as a guest. So thanks so much for, for joining. Um, for, for those people who, who don't know you, Mark, um, and I'm sure that's gonna be in the minority um, because uh, lots of fans of your LinkedIn content out there, it'd be great if we could start with, with a little bit of an introduction to, um, to who you are and a bit about my sales coach. Yeah, sure. Appreciate that, that Sherry. Um, so my name is Mark Akers. I'm the co-founder and head of sales at a company called My Sales Coach. Um, in terms of my background, professionally at least, I've been in sales for, I think it's 13 years now, maybe maybe crept into 14 years. Started off in marketing, very quickly moved over to sales, never looked back. Uh, in, in terms of what you're alluding to there, maybe being a little bit too generous, but those that do follow me on, on LinkedIn know that I regularly post content that really is quite actionable, actionable tips and tricks. I'm also in the last year started sharing my journey as a, as a first time co-founder and I try to post regularly, although at the time of the recording, I've not posted for about a week, which is, which is very rare for me, just end of year manic stuff and just need to get back on it. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's who I am. And then I think that outside of work, if people are interested, not got not got loads going on but i'm very happy in life i've got a wife i've got a little boy i've got one on the way most of my time is spent with the family and uh and yeah that's that's uh, that's me congratulations congratulations on the uh well lots there congratulations on the launch of my sales coach congratulations on the little one of your on the way um and 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 you know i think for people that do follow you i think you know the, the value i see in a lot of the posts that you do mark is, is like you say it's actionable um which leads me on to the um the other piece of gold that that you've uh, that you've done in the past which is problem prospecting um which is kind of the go-to handbook for for lots of SDRs, um, and we had Rich on um, a couple of months ago, and he kind of talked about why, um, you know, why you guys decided to write that book. And um, but we'd love to hear from you. What what did you what did you get out of of doing that? And um, what do you think has changed since since the book has been published? Yeah. So if, if Rich has shared the story, that's great. I'll, I'll not dig into that. I'm sure you can. Um post people to that podcast but in terms of what happened as a result of that book um i think you know we're, we're trying to sound humble and grand because it's easy to forget like the success that it's had but equally it could be uncomfortable to talk about success i think that's just classic british um yeah. personality trait but yeah it's it, it is it's humbling like i get messages weekly from people that have just found the book or they've gone back to the book and picked it up and I think the way we designed that book was it was meant to sort of just sit on your desk if you're an SDR that's on your desk it's kind of like a bible a go-to actionable playbook and what I love seeing is when people share photos of it and it's just filled with post-it notes or pages mm. bent over and, and people have written stuff so yeah I, I, it's definitely I think one of my most proudest um moments was publishing that book and seeing the success off the back of it over three years ago now so what's changed since then i think the big thing is is ai like so th this book was written before ai and i know there's there's so much noise and talk around ai 
definitely a tool that can be used for good, but do worry about the over-reliance on it um, and the not really knowing how to use it effectively. Um, so I think that's probably the, the big thing that's changed. If, if you were to say to me, write a second version of the book um, and update it, there would be a whole chapter dedicated to, to AI. Um, other than that, I think the key thing that I've seen is when people are talking about it, it's that realization that it's not about you. It's not about your product. It's not about your features and widgets. It's all about the prospect and the, the, the sort of pinch me moments, if you will, it doesn't happen loads, but it's when people cold call me and they use that sort of framework and, and like sometimes they realize that what they're doing, they've done it on purpose. Other times it's like a freak um, coincidence <laughs> and, and it's, it's quite funny, but uh, yeah, hopefully that answers your question, but definitely really proud of that book. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's had loads of great feedback and reviews and, and uh, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Amazing. Well, it's it's on my bookshelf, on my bookshelf there. Um, I, I think what you said there really, really struck me, which is the promising thing is that nothing's really changed apart from the AI piece that you talked about. Because if you wrote a book three years ago and suddenly everything is no longer valid, then then it's kind of like a you know a one hit wonder almost. Um, kind of, and I that goes to show. And I think you know I just posted about this on LinkedIn earlier. Um, the frustrating thing I'm hearing a lot of right now is the phone doesn't work. Don't bother calling. It doesn't work. Um, and I think your book gives so many actual insights and actually frameworks to really show that it does work. And you guys have told stories in there about the time that, that you know, that you called someone and, you know, A, B and C happened. So, um, you know, I think, I think for any, any reps that are listening to this, that haven't, that haven't read it, I, I would highly recommend. Um, and this, this podcast isn't sponsored by you. So that, that was, that was genuine, but, um, switching, switching gears slightly, Mark. So this year has been a big year for you. It's been the launch of, of my sales coach. Um, I'd love to get into, um, into that a little bit and kind of what you, what you saw happening in the market that created a need for, for you to go out and build my sales coach? Yeah, fantastic question. Um, so those might not be familiar with the company that I worked at before. It was a company called Refract. But I think the easiest way that everyone's just going to get it straight away is conversation intelligence, speech analytics. You've got the likes of Refract that were acquired by a company called Allego, but then you've got Gong, you've got Chorus, you've got Jiminy, etc. I feel like people are comfortable with that concept now of calls being reviewed and coached. When that business was set up, so I wasn't a co-founder there, but I joined pretty early. Would it yeah. be crazy to sell on the founding team? No, but I, again, that that uh, Britishness where you don't want to sort of like say anything like that. Like, I just joined early, right? I was like, I don't know, employee number six, number seven, something like that. Um, that business was set up with the vision of sales conversations happen behind closed doors, right? They used to happen in meeting rooms and corridors or out in the field. As a manager, it's hard to know what happens in those conversations. But the reality is what is happening is where revenue is won and lost. There's, there's hundreds, if not thousands of variables in every sales call. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could give sales managers insight into revenue conversations so they can highlight best practice and share that with a team, identify opportunities to improve the quality and outcome of those calls and give feedback and coach reps. So we started off in that space and it was, it was maybe this will never happen again for, for me, but it was kind of like an explosion of a category. So all of a sudden, you know, gong, 
appeared on the scenes. Chorus did, Jiminy did, and you felt like, wow, we we've almost like entered a category on day one, and we sort of exploded with those companies. And um, obviously, Gong's the big success story there, followed by followed by Chorus. But here's here's the uncomfortable truth that we started to find that managers believed in coaching they knew that's what they should be doing you know studies show like 74 percent of organizations cite coaching as a manager's number one responsibility so the buy-in to that concept wasn't difficult what happened though is when people bought these systems they bought them with best intentions best intentions that i'm going to sit i'm going to listen to calls i'm going to give feedback and everything's going to be amazing my team are going to level up and close more deals the uncomfortable truth is the second a manager got busy they stop listening to calls. They stop going into the platform, listening to calls and giving feedback because it is a time-consuming task. Yes, these systems made it easier. You could speed calls up. You could you could see a transcript. You could get insights. You could jump to key moments, but it was still a time-consuming task. And that's where you see other companies like Gong's a great example. They, they pivoted to revenue intelligence and dashboards and insight. So a manager didn't have to listen to calls, but that was there if they wanted it. Anywho, so we really focused on that. Let's help managers coach calls. This coincides with a period of COVID where if you think about the best sales trainers and coaches across the world, they used to go out, visit people face to face and do their and do their work. That stopped. Traveling stopped, going to businesses stopped. And and what we noticed was lots of those sales trainers and sales coaches come to us and said, I need to pivot. Can I can I buy refract? Can I coach my customers' conversations remotely and give feedback and keep my business alive? We we had a lot of success over COVID with that market. And what we noticed was even the best trainers and the best sales coaches had availability. Right? Like if you look at their calendar, there were there were holes. And that's their business model is time for money. They want to get as much time for their sorry, as much money for their time as possible. But what they don't do is go out and prospect and worry about SEO and PPC. It's referrals and word of mouth. So there's kind of like a perfect storm there. Refract was acquired by a company called Alego. That was that was great. We we're there for two years. And then Kevin, the original founder of Refract, said to me, I think it's time for me to move on. I've got an idea. Would you be Would you be interested? So I said to him, what I want to do next is continue in the sales coaching space. I'm really passionate about that. That That's where my network is. That's what I enjoy doing. It's what I believe in. So it'd have to be something like that. He turned around his laptop and, it, and he had this like rough and ready logo that said my sales coach. And like within 15 seconds, I'm like, let's go. I'm in. What we did. Yeah. I was almost too eager, really. I probably shot myself in the foot from a negotiation of, of shares and stock point of view, but, but there we are. Um, and th- here was the concept. We knew that there was amazing sales coaches out there that had availability. We knew organizations wanted to coach and develop their reps, but technology didn't solve that. What if we could take the availability of coaches gift wrap that as a subscription service and make that available where sales teams and, and customer success teams could could gift gift um, sorry gift their sales reps one-to-one coaching on demand. And that's what we've got. We've got a bank of expert coaches. We meet with revenue teams. We identify each individual's unique needs, goals and, and dreams. 
match them to their perfect coach. And that coach is then available on demand for one-to-one coaching where that coach will work with them to help them hit the goals that the company have set of them and fulfill their potential. And that's what we do. That's what my sales coach does. And, and I love that I'm part of a company that is really completing my passion, which is helping sales, uh, sales professionals realize that one, this is a real career. Two, this is a real skill and we can get better at that and ensuring they've got access to the coaching that they need to, to do that. Um, and it all ties back to everything I've done, including why I wrote the book, right? It's to help sales professionals. So yeah, that's that's the journey that we've been on this year. It's been an incredible, incredible year um, and uh, really, really proud of what we're what we're doing. That's amazing. And and I think I love that everything's kind of come full circle from what you've done at Refract to now actually um, building something. And I think you and I share that passion for coaching. But I think, you know, the reason I started SalesWorks, and it sounds like the reason that you started my sales coaches is actually just because you were passionate about the problem that you were solving. Um, not necessarily about, for me, it wasn't necessarily about, you know, a big dream of being an entrepreneur. It was actually, I was really passionate about trying to fix something that, that wasn't being solved for. Um, so I think that that's that's a really interesting story. There was something you said um, that I wanted to to unpack. You, you talked about the fact that um, systems made it easier for managers to be coaching reps, but as soon as something else came along, you know, they sort of slipped in terms of priorities. One of the things that I've seen from coaching and training sales teams and sales leaders as well, um, that I wanted to get your take on was managers didn't really know how to effectively coach. So the problem that I saw was partly time and bandwidth, but I, I almost saw that as a bit of an excuse. And actually, it was like managers, especially first time managers, and, and you know, I've been in the situation before myself, um, was actually, I don't really know how to give my team coaching. And it wasn't coaching as you and I know it, it was kind of directive. And, and I don't think you can coach if someone doesn't have the fun, you can't coach a brand new rep, right, because I think they need the training and fundamentals. Um, so a gap I've seen quite a lot is managers lacking the skill of, of effective coaching. What's your take on that? Yeah, so I would say there's, there's three reasons a manager doesn't coach. Lack of skill, lack of will, or a lack of time, or, or a blend of all three. Here's, here's what happens, right? Chabri, you'd have seen this every day, every week, every month for your career, as, as have I. Top performers want to want to either want to progress, right? Top performers want to progress. They're ambitious. They're doing well in the role. That organization has a choice. They either lose their top performers to someone else who will give them that promotion or they promote them themselves and they keep them and their knowledge in the business and they grow and develop that person. I'm yet to meet a sales leader that hasn't been a top performing sales professional. Like that's, that's the natural step, right? So yeah. when you become a sales manager... That is a result of you being a top performer. That doesn't directly correlate to the skill set required to be an effective sales manager and and a, and a coach. And um, a sales rep will get promoted tomorrow to a manager, right? That just that happen in some organisation, well, hundreds of organisations tomorrow. Here's the things they've got to start doing. They've got to start having interviews, like interviewing people, 
onboarding people, running one-to-ones. They've got to start training. They've got to start coaching. They all of a sudden got to have difficult conversations. They've got to look at dashboards and tech stack in a whole new way now as admins and the reporting and draw conclusions. Yeah. They've got to do all this stuff. And what's really difficult for them is when they've just been promoted, the last thing they want to do is sort of put their hand in the air and say to their, their boss, you know, you just promoted me to that role. I don't know how to do any of these things. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're really relying on the company to support them. But that company, very rarely do you hear a manager that's been coached in how to coach, let alone all those other things. Right. They kind of had to figure it out for themselves. Um, so when it comes to being a manager and coaching, you even the best will in the world, managers struggle for time. It's not it's not unusual, particularly if you're a first time manager to still have a quota, because, again, you're a top performer. They promoted you. They don't want to lose that number, but they want to give you what you need to keep you in the business. So you've still got a quota. You've now got all these new facets to your job and you've got a coach. It's no surprise that lack of time is, is a genuine thing that people struggle with. Despite that, countless studies do show the impact of coaching. Like you can just Google yeah. it and countless they show that. And, and it does always make you wonder, like, what are you doing that's more important than that? But that's a yeah. different argument for a different day. Um, so there is a lack of time, though. I do accept that managers struggle for that. There is a lack of will, right? Not not from everyone. Unfortunately, very few people that I speak with have a lack of will. But it's not it's not an unreal thing to hear because you've been a top performer. You want to get promoted. You want the title. You want the salary. You want the esteem. You want the progression. That doesn't mean you want a coach. It doesn't mean you want to put up with all the new daily um, uh, conversations that you've got to have as a sales uh, sales manager and all the meetings you've got to go to and the dashboard. It doesn't mean you want to do that. So there can be a lack of will. And then there can be a lack of skill. How do you coach? What is the difference between training someone and coaching someone? And, And here's the other difficulty. As a manager, you are biased. You have a new. You have a company goal to hit. Your bonus is attached to that company goal or commission. Um, your targets all all linked together. But when you're coaching someone, it actually has to be about the individual. Like, where is that individual today? Where are their skills, confidence, and competence gaps? How can I help develop them? You've got to push yeah. all that company agenda aside and focus on that individual. But that's a conflict. That's a conflict with what you're trying to achieve. And that's where it could be difficult for a manager as well, that nature of being a manager and a coach and having that biasness. You also have the rep here, right? So anyone listening to this podcast, I guarantee, as an example, anyone listening to this podcast at some point in their career would likely have had, let, let's say this, imposter syndrome. Right, like yeah. Shabri, I'm sure you've had that point. I've had that yeah. point, right? Who do you speak to about that? You don't speak to your boss about that, right? It's very rare you would feel comfortable going to your boss and saying, I've got mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, or I've got cold calling anxiety, or I feel like I'm really weak at negotiation, or I've got a need for approval, I struggle to talk about money. These are all aspects that you need coaching and development on. You don't want to talk to your manager about that because your manager is someone that can decide if opportunities come your way or not someone that can decide if you've got a career in that company so the individual struggles to open up and be vulnerable with their boss which is needed to be coached and it just creates this awkward dynamic where what managers tend to do is they tend to just fall down to what's easy dashboards 
metrics, yeah. company goals, and therefore coaching sessions at best are pipeline reviews or talking about things that align to what the manager needs that individual to do and achieve, not about what the individual wants and where their skills confidence and competence gaps are so i do have sympathy with the manager it's an awkward dynamic and they're not or rarely coached how to be a good coach and their time stretched so there's lots going on there that, that makes sales coaching very difficult and means it's not happening as often as it should so spot on and i love the way that you summarized it into you know those three lack of skill lack of will and lack of time the lack of skill piece is is one that you elaborated on quite a lot but what can what can people do to actually get better at coaching? Like, what would your actionable advice there be? So you have to have a coach, in my opinion, right? If you, it, I think if you could, you can look at any um, any discipline in the world where there's there's the elite. Sports a good example of that. But let's well let's look at sport, right? It, if I said to you, Shabri, who's some of the biggest sports stars that you know that pop into your head? Who pops into your head? Roger Federer. Okay, great example, right? I, I know squat about Federer in terms of what he's achieved, but I think we can both say he's achieved, what are they like, Grand Slams and titles? Yeah. I know he's got all those, right? Yeah. He's got all the trophies in the bag. He has a coach. I, I bet he has multiple coaches. I bet yeah. he has, I'm, I'm going to struggle now with, you know, like a, a backswing coach, a front swing. He'll have a fitness coach. He'll have a, he'll, he'll have, yeah. he'll have a recovery coach, whatever. He'll have all these different people that ultimately work with Roger Federer to one, set goals for him and hold him accountable to those goals, to push him, to encourage and motivate him, to call out self-limiting beliefs. Like that would be that would be a career with huge um, like stresses and anxieties yeah. and challenge. Like again, he'll he'll have a, he'll have a mindset coach, right? The elite all know that the way to get better is to work with someone that brings fresh perspective, fresh ideas, someone that's walked in your shoes before. Um, the phrase I really like, and I think coming back to the world of sales, is working with someone whose history is your future. So, mm. and I love that, right? Why, why would you want to go on a journey by yourself? You don't know the path. You might know to where you want to get to, but you don't know the route. But if you can go with someone that's walked in your shoes, they've done that journey. Again, their history is your future. That just means you're going to get to where you want to get to quicker and make less mistakes and have someone that keeps you on pace, right, on the track that you want to be on. I think if you want to become better at something, working with a coach who's already done that, is a surefire way to get there effectively. Of course, there's loads of loads of other things that you can do, right? We all, we all know you, you can self-study. Like, I recently downloaded this app called the, the, the Blink, Blink List, I think it is, where basically okay. condenses books for you. I, I, the amount of books I've, I've, in air quotes, read in the last couple of weeks is I've read more books in the last couple of weeks through Blinklist than I have in the last couple of years, right? Like, yeah. there's, there's books, there's podcasts, there's webinars, there's lots you can do to invest in yourself or you can just do it all by yourself. You yeah. Might, you might get there. It might take you a lot longer. You might make loads of mistakes, but you might get there or you can do all these other things that like that. That's how I would say it. Okay, that's that's great advice. That's great advice. Thank you. Um, right now, I want to get into the report that that my sales coach, the the survey that my sales coach uh, launched a few weeks ago. Um, thank you for sending it to me on on LinkedIn. By the way, I really enjoyed reading it. There was a lot of stuff that stood out to me. But um, if you had to pick one stat or or result um, that 
surprised you or stood out to you the most, what would it be? Oof. I would struggle to pick one. I, I, I appreciate you're, you're, you're asking for one. <laughs> I think, I think first of all, the the report made me sad in the sense of, so we asked SDRs to complete this survey anonymously. Um, 1,069 SDRs took part. Um, and the stats are therefore really real and, and recent. It was Q4 2023. Um, it's a role that I've done. It's a role that I loved. And I think when I looked at the report, you could see that just over just over half thought they'd be in sales in five years' time, like 54%. Um, a lot of people were unsure. So like 46% were either unsure, too early to say, or no. Um, I think if you looked at that in this rawest form, 10% said no. 90%, like 54 was like, yes, I'll be in sales in five years' time. 25% said they're unsure. 10% said there was too early to say, but 10% said no. So if you look at it like that, you can say, okay, well, 90% are either committed or somewhat committed to being in sales, which is great because most people don't wake up and want to be in sales. They don't dream of being in sales. They sort of fall into it. But what was good to see is lots of people in some way were, were sort of committed to sales. But then when we asked, well, do you think you'd be of your current employer? Almost half didn't think they'd be with their current employer in 12 months time. And that really surprised me. When you think about the investment into an SDR, how long they're typically in the role, how long it typically takes to ramp them. And almost half are saying they don't believe they'll be with their current employer in 12 months time. It was kind of like, wow. Like if you're listening to it, if you had a team of 10, five are gone in 12 months time, at least. And I, I think that was quite a staggering statistic. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing when I, when we, we asked them, what are their biggest challenges so we asked them, like, what are their biggest challenges? And, and we ranked them in terms of their top three biggest challenges. 40% said lack of coaching was in their top three biggest challenges in the role. And I just felt like that was so high. Like, yeah. SDRs are typically new to this world. They're junior. They've got people that are typically have been successful in that role. It's their job to help them get better and they're saying lack of coaching is in my top. It was forty percent put it as number two in their top three biggest challenges. I just think, what's going on there? Like, it's our job. This is this is the future of the sales profession. It's our job to help make them successful. And forty percent are saying it's their second biggest challenge in the role. That really stood out to me. Um, and then we started to look at well, what about those that do get coaching? Um, 50%, we asked them, right, those that do get coaching, how do you score the coaching that you currently receive? 50% of the SDRs, so out of, out of 1,069, 50% rated the coaching they currently get on a scale of 1 to 10 between, uh, well, actually 0, 0 to 6. 50% essentially saying the coaching they get is no good. And you just think, like, again, what what is going on here how can we help them? And then we started to look at, well, how does this all link to fulfillment and targets? And what we found is that where, as I say, um, we'll talk about how many people think they'll be with their current employer, 
we noticed that if people got no to little coaching, it dropped to 29%. So if they got no to little coaching, only 29% believe they'd be of their employer in 12 months time. Whereas, and we've got different benchmarks in the report, but if you got frequent and high quality coaching, it was 74% believe they'd be with their current employer in 12 months time. Like a huge swing showing yeah. the, the impact. 29% think they're going to be with their employer if they got little to no coaching. 74% believe they would if they got frequent high quality coaching. So it just showed a direct link there between actually investing and developing your SDR team. The return on them staying in the role was was huge. And then of course, it was like, well, how does that link to... Um, being on target and again 53% said they were um, on target if they got no to little coaching so no to little coaching only 53% were on target whereas if they got frequent and high quality coaching that number increased to 70% so again just a huge swing to people being on target linked back to how much coaching they got and again they think what more organizations and sales leaders need to see to understand that that's what they need to be doing if they want to retain their staff they want to grow their staff they want their staff to hit the goals they've set of them by the way because if they don't hit their goals what happens to that sdr gone Mm. right like shameful if you're not going to give them what they need to be successful and hold them accountable to targets that you've created shameful so again if we're not going to help them hit those targets that we've set of them we're not going to help them fulfill their potential quite frankly you don't deserve to keep them yeah all the links and all the signs are there to show the impact of coaching and that it's the number one thing a manager can do and that's where it comes back down to well if they've got a lack of time they need to change something if they've got a lack of skill the organization needs to change something if they've got a lack of will they probably shouldn't be in that role in the first place yeah I mean, the data, it's its sad to say that, I mean, it's unsurprising correlation between those data points. But I think when you see it backed up by data, you, like you say, what else, what more do managers need to see? Um, and, I, and I think the bits that I found quite disappointing in the report was when we looked at, when you guys looked at fulfillment, role fulfillment, and uncertainty about their employer. Um, so I think it was 56% of SDRs are unfulfilled. And I think it was something like 48% of reps weren't sure about their employer. What do you think is the difference between the reps that that are fulfilled in their role and like their company and the ones that don't? What, what would some of those factors potentially be in your opinion? So I think this comes down to, if you look at the SDR role, in general, right? And as I said, I've done that role for a, for a number of years. I loved being in that role. Instant gratification. It felt yeah. like it felt like a skill that, that that I had that linked itself quite nicely. But I think if you look at the role in its bare bones, rightly or wrongly, lots of people see that as a starting spot. You've got to do your times in SDR, and then you get promoted. Yeah. And in our survey, we we asked people like what they want to do next, and in fact, let me get the exact number, right? So I'm not misquoting. Um, only 2.4% wanted to stay as an SDR, right? Out, wow. um, all, like, so like, it just shows you everyone wants to progress, right? 54.5% want to be promoted to, to an AE, which is obviously a natural step. 18% want to be a manager. Um, 
And I think, therefore, most people see it as a stepping stone. They know they've got to do that role and be successful in it to get promoted. And I think fulfillment comes where you can see the next step. You can see that, first of all, you're getting better every day. Secondly, you're earning the money that you want to earn. And thirdly, what you're doing is going to take you somewhere. Right. Like to your earlier point about people saying cold coins dead and all that stuff. Right. Look, the reality is people say cold coins dead are the same people that just aren't very good at it. But the reality, no one wants to cold call. Right. No, even people that say they love cold coin are, are, are lying. No one enjoys yeah. that. Right. It, it goes against everything in our human brain is to wake up and call strangers. But if you're good at it, we all know that the trajectory that takes you in terms of being successful on booking meetings, et cetera. And you can learn that skill. But people in that role want to see progression. They want to feel like they're growing. They want to feel like they're developing. They want to feel like they're playing a part in the company's growth, right? Like their meetings convert into deals, et cetera. They want to feel like they've got opportunities. I think on the flip, those that aren't fulfilled probably don't have that. They don't feel like they're learning. They don't feel like they're developing. They feel like that they, they, they are just coming in and it's all activities, it's all metrics, it's all when I need to do more. Sorry, when I need better results, it's do more. It's not how do you get better, right? Yeah. So they're very much metric heavy. And that would be what lots of their one-to-ones are. This is how many dials you've made. This is how many emails you sent. These are how many people you've added to the CRM. Like, I've had those one-to-ones in that role and it's just so boring. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just being told activity levels. Um, so they probably don't see that development. They don't see that growth. They're just sort of ticking along. And I think what they're struggling with is, well, how am I going to do the next role? If I'm not learning and developing, how am I going to do the next role? Is that next role even possible for me here? And it's kind of like a means to an end for, as I say, lots of people, but they probably feel like that that isn't happening. So I think when it looks at fulfillment, it comes down to everything that the company is doing to help that person hit the goals they've set of them and fulfill their potential and get to where they want to be. And I think the other aspect is like the role's really hard. If, mm. if, if you think about, so when I, when I was an SDR, I always make this joke, but it's true. It wasn't, it didn't exist back then, right? It was just, it was just, uh, I had like a fancy title, but it was an SDR. But all, I say all, because it, it was all, all I had to do was be good at cold calling and be, yeah. and be good at emailing. Like, that's all I had to do, really. Um, now, if you hire an SDR, with the context that they're probably fresh-faced, brand new to the world of sales, at best, maybe they've done the role for a year, but you don't get many SDRs move for other SDR roles. They normally move yeah. to be promoted, right? So at best, they've probably done it for a year, but ultimately they've got loads to learn, right? Loads to learn. And and, and in SaaS, it's like, you even find yourself like, you forget how much they don't know, like what's ARR, what's MRR, what what yeah. is what is SaaS and all this stuff, right? So they've got loads to learn, but it's not just cold calling anymore and emailing. It's, they probably have, 21 things they've got to log into like from yeah. the tech stacks they've got to learn all these different tech stacks they've got to learn not just how to email but how to write almost like poetry because yeah. e- email is is being spammed out can't wait for the changes in the new year they've mm-hmm. got to learn now how to cold call to a higher standard they've got to be great at video messages they've got to be great at voice notes they've got to be great at building personal brands they they've got to be great researchers they, there's so many elements to this job but we expect so much from what typically is a 
junior person's job entering the world of sales. And the data shows that most of them don't feel like they're developing, don't feel like they're fulfilled, don't feel like they get the coaching they want. And one of the questions we asked was, would you like more coaching? 82% of the 1,069, even those that already got high quality and frequent coaching, 82% said that's what they want. They want more coaching and more development. And they're not getting it. And I think, again, shame on the organizations that hire these people in, make them all these promises of quick promotions, high OTEs, big targets, and don't give them the, the tools, the coach and development they need to to hit those goals and fulfill their potential. So I think, yeah, I, I know I've got a bit of a rant here, Sherry, but it just it, it really winds me up. And I, I feel for those, for, the, for those SDRs. No, I, I completely agree. And actually, when you, when you put it the way you did and you compare what, SDRs need to do today versus what they used to. I was the same as you. When I started as an SDR, I didn't have 20 tools. I needed to be good on the phone, which I was. I needed to be good at email. I needed to have my lead list and my Excel spreadsheet and my CRM ready. And that was about, and really that was about it. So it's changed so much. And I think expectations and standards in the industry and per company have gone up here. But training and coaching hasn't hasn't mirrored that um that upward movement so i I do think that's that's a shame um one of the things that i wanted to to drill into which i think has come up on almost every podcast that we've done is the concept of like the fear of the phone and cold calling anxiety and i know your report touched on this as well but i think you talked about um what percentage of of reps had cold calling anxiety. I think it was 55, so, um, or 65 maybe, so so way more than half. Um, and it, I think it is very natural for people to have a fear of the phone because like you say, it's this unnatural thing that our brains aren't really telling us to do. Um, how can we overcome this? And, and and I know coaching is is a big part of this, but from a mindset perspective, like what advice would you give to reps to, to overcome this? Poor. How long have we got, Shabri? So, <laughs> I, I think first of all, like you spot. So, yeah, it was sixty-five percent of SDRs said that cold calling anxieties was a challenge they faced. It was it was the second most popular answer behind anxieties over results. So, when we said to them, like, look, what are these challenges have you faced at some point? Sixty-six point nine percent said anxieties over results. Second most popular answer was 65.2% was cold calling anxieties. Now, the next two, I think, link 57.2% said lack of confidence and 46.3% said imposter syndrome. So I feel like they're all linked. Okay. Yeah. I think, how do we dissect this? Because there's, there's so many things here. And I, I look, here's the headline with the changes that's coming to email and mass senders, et cetera, in, in February, March next year, we're going to have to turn to cold calling. I think the first thing is training is needed. And, and mm. there's, a, there's a clear difference in my head between training and coaching. Training is first of all needed because if you think again about SDRs, let me tell you when I was an SDR, the people I had to call up. So I had to call up HR managers for banks. Didn't know the first thing about HR managers. Didn't know the first thing really about the finance industry or banks. I then um, was an SDR where I had to call up uh, hotel managers didn't know the first thing about a hotel manager or, or hotels really so and that's the same for a lot of SDRs 
they'd be calling up people that they have no insight into them as a person, what they get up for, why they go to work, what challenges they have. And I think ultimate ultimate question they need to be answer is, how does that person moan of an evening? And I think mm. we need to train our SDRs to understand when their ideal prospect gets home in the evening and everyone moans about their job, right? When they sit down and their partner, friend, whoever they live with says to them, how was work today? And they moan. What do they say? And I think if an SDR can't answer that, that's the company's fault. They've not trained their SDRs properly. What I'm sure they've done is train them on the product, right? This is the product. These are the reports. These are the features. These are the widgets. And that's probably being trained to them by a technical person who built the product or works on the product. They've probably sat down with the marketing team and learn about marketing and key messaging. And therefore, it's no surprise when SDR picks up the phone, they speak in a technical or marketing-based language that the ideal customer doesn't understand. You know, you call up and you use horrible words like ecosystem or market leading or transformational, right? It's all marketing or technical-based jargon because we're training in the wrong things. What we need to do is say, right, let me tell you all about our ideal customer profile. You've never done the role before. Let me tell you, when they get up in the morning, this is what is top of mind. When they go to work, these are the problems that they have. When they're moaning of an evening, this is what they're saying. This is how their life can be better or they can be happier if they buy our product or service. That's what we need to train SDRs on how to do. Therefore, when they've got their knowledge, when they're speaking to that ideal customer profile, they sound like they belong. And that's the first thing that needs to change. We need to educate our sales reps in how to speak the language of our ideal customer profile. So there's a training piece. Then there's a coaching piece around like mindset. The the reality is if you're calling the right person, i.e. you're calling your ideal customer profile because you've been well-trained in who that is and what they do, you just need to have a mindset shift. Most people when they're calling think about themselves right like loads of sdrs that that listen to this will relate to what i'm about to say i i know i've picked up the phone in the past where i'm thinking god i hope they don't answer like they 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 look scary right on their profile they're really senior they're not going to take me seriously i hope they don't answer or when they do answer you worry that you're a pain in the ass you worry that you're calling an inconvenient time you're worried about they won't sort of um, resonate with the problems you're also worried about the outcome like finally someone's answers right now now i've got to go that i've been calling all morning i've finally got someone to answer this is my one time to book a meeting prove that i'm successful and earn a bit of money so we're connected to the outcome and we can start to sound like we're begging for the next step or really being quite pushy. So the mindset that you need to have is one, I'm calling someone because I know what their problems are and I know I can help them. Mm. You need to have that mindset that you're the good guy, right? And you then need to have the mindset that it's far worse for the person picking up the phone than it is for you. If If you're calling, like if I called someone now, I've chosen to make that call at this time, at this day, to that person. I know where they work. I know what they look like. I know their career history. I probably know what university they've gone to. And I know what I want. I know what I want from the call. Whereas if I answer the phone, there's a number I don't recognize. I don't know who they are, why they're calling, where they got my number for, and what they want. So that can cause anxiety in me. Again, we're we're taught stranger danger. We don't want to talk to strangers, right? So 
they're naturally anxious. But if you're anxious about the outcome, about what, how the conversation is going to go, you've got two anxious people. And that's why you have friction, because it's two anxious people on the phone. Whereas actually, if you call the mindset, this is worse for them. It's not me. It's fine for me. I know what's happening. And you call the mindset that I'm the good guy. I'm calling to see if I can help. Some people will want my help. Some people will want it, but not now. And some people will never want it. But I'm okay with that. If you call with the right mindset that you're calling to help and you're not attached to the outcome, a lot of your cold calling fears will disappear and a lot of your conversations will improve. So there's a mindset piece there. And then there's just an ongoing coaching piece about the quality of the call. Like, I think the average call is something like like cold call. It's like 5,000 words in it. And it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. I, yeah. I, I coached one of our SDRs calls the other day. It was like a three-minute call. And this sounds crazy, this, but a minute in, I think I'd stopped the call like 10 times. And I even said to him, I said, isn't it amazing we're a minute in and we've stopped the call this many times and there's moments that now, he like he was saying, oh, yeah, I should have said this or I should have said it like that or I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have interrupted. I was like, isn't it amazing all these micro moments that mm. add up to the quality and the outcome of the call? And it is a skill. You've got to, you've got to learn all that stuff. And again, you can learn it by yourself. Like if you're an SDR listening, you, you, you'll get there. If you, if you make enough calls and have enough conversations and you sort of try a split test, you can figure this out. Or you can do something about it. You can self-develop. You can read books and podcasts and webinars. Or you can work with someone. Someone that has made more cold calls and you've had hot dinners. Someone that's made all those mistakes. Someone that understands the, the art, the psychology of a cold call. And they can help you fine-tune your script and your delivery of that script and, and, and master your craft. And that's that's the option I just think, for me, would be crazy not to pick. Yeah. I, I mean, I had never thought about it in the way that you had just mentioned it. I'd always focused on how difficult it is for the rep that is making the call, but I had never thought about it from that the actual person who's picking up the phone probably has a bit of anxiety as well. It's that uncertainty. It's that kind of like, whose mobile number is this? And how do they get my number? And and actually you go, and that's why pattern interrupts are so, so useful for reps because the the person who's picking up the phone is already picking up with a bit of a guard up. So I never thought about it as the fact that you've got, that's why you've got that friction because you've got both people there who, who have a different anxiety for different reasons. Do, do you know so, what I always think of? So I always think of my nan and granddad, God rest their souls, right? So I lived with them for a little bit when I was younger and the phone would ring in the evening and they'd both go, who's this at this time of night? <laughs> And you could see, like, it's not going to be anyone other than a friend, but you could see the anxiety of who's calling this time. And it was kind of like, who's going to pick up the phone? Like, like it was a bomb. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then, hello? Do you know what I mean? It's the same with the door. Who's knocking at this time of night? And it it just shows that the person receiving the call has got all those anxieties. And our job is to lower them as quickly as possible. And you're right. The the, the pattern interrupts key, along with the right tone, the right energy, the right words delivered in the right way. And that's where you need training on how to do it and coaching to to reinforce and echo that training. And that's like such a big use case of my sales coach, like SDRs going to their coach with call recordings and saying, can you give me fresh perspective? Can you give me ideas on what I could say? and do differently to improve the quality and outcomes of my of my cold calls yeah 
Amazing. I love that. I love that analogy of your grandparents, by the way. <laughs> and it's so spot on. Um, I, I could literally sit here and chat to you for, for hours, which we unfortunately don't have, Mark. Um, but I, we will link the um, the survey report in the in the podcast notes so people can um, can look through it as well. And I'm sure lots of takeaways um, that, that they'll have from this conversation, too. We like to finish all of our podcasts with um with a question, because I'm sure you've been on the receiving end of a lot of emails, phone calls, prospecting. Um, what's an example of one rep that has stood out to you um, through their prospecting approach? Um, so I, I wish I had like loads of examples. I think this is a real frustration of mine. Um, but you know, when when someone clearly has latched onto something I've seen and done, and try to reach out to me, and I think the best cold calls are ones that start, it sounds like I've got a huge ego here. I mean, we've all got egos, right? But it depends yeah. on that. But when someone calls me up and says, I just want to say thank you. Like I've, I've read your book or I've read your LinkedIn post and it helped me do the following thing. It's like, how can I do anything other than give you all the time in the world? Because you've, yeah. you've called me, I made me feel good. And like I say, like, I know that sounds really egotistical, but it's the same with anyone. If anyone's put anything online, be that LinkedIn, be that Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, we all put stuff online because we want that recognition. We want that yeah. adrenaline. So I think when you, when you see people creating loads of content and you reach out to them to not use that is just a massive mistake. I think the thing that always gets my attention is when someone says, I note that they start with that. I noticed this, or I read that or enjoyed that. And straight away, you just read it because and, and what it, does, it encourages you to read on or listen on or in, invite the conversation. Um, I think that one of the best examples was someone for an interview, actually. Um, they, they called me up. They used the script from the book, but what they were selling was themselves. But the problems they led with was the difficulties in finding great SDRs. And I can't remember everything he said, but used the right sort of like emotional words, the right pain points, the right outcomes, not solving it. And I sort of said to him, like, I, I get what you're doing. I love it. Where's this call going? He's like, it's going to me have an interview with you. <laughs> I feel well. And I just couldn't say no to that person. So we, we, we had an interview. Um, and I think that's probably one of the best examples of where someone has reached out using things that they know will, will sort of grab my attention to book themselves a, a, a meeting. And I think, well, what great way to stand out as someone that's looking for a job, right? To prove that yeah. you can pick up the phone and make it happen. So that, I mean, I've, that's happened a few times now. And most recent one that I've just hired, actually. So I wrote a LinkedIn post about this a little while ago. His name's Noah. He called me up and he was like, Mark, I just want you to know, like, this CV is going to land in your inbox. Let me tell you why I'm the right candidate for you. But, like, the whole script was there from problem prospecting and the problems, et cetera. Had to have an interview with him. And then, like, we set him tasks, et cetera. And it just, it just was an easy decision. It was so hard to say no to him. So I think that was, that was a really impressive story. Amazing. Well, it shows curiosity, creativity, all the kind of traits that we're looking for. Um, and for people that are trying to prospect to you, it would be silly for them to not use the the uh, actionable advice that you've you've written in your book so um that that those, those are great examples and then for anyone who's listening that wants to reach out or get in touch with you what's the best way to, to contact you mark yeah definitely linkedin um so you can find me on linkedin it's mark acres mark with a k a c k e r s at my sales coach you can find me on linkedin give me a follow send me a connection request that, that is definitely the best way to to find me Amazing. Thank you so much, Mark. This, this has been this has been gold. Thank you.